Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with George Haas. And we were in the middle of speaking with him. We just started our show, and then we had some glitch. So we're starting all over again, and I'd like to welcome George to the show. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me back again. Thank you. You're coming back so soon. Yes. <laughs> what, were you, what were you doing while we were gone? I think everybody ran for a drink and everything else, so uh, I just want to let everybody know now it's time you come back now, and I did send a uh, a little notice out. So they had to follow, actually, uh, I was talking to the the link lady, and she said we had to actually follow a different link, so that's why it took me so long. But anyway... Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, okay, I'm going to be able to get, the, I think, the first part of the show back. But just in case, I would like you to introduce yourself and tell people something about yourself. Um, well, I'm George Haas. I'm part of the uh, Society for Planetary SETI Research, and also I'm the founding and premier investigator of the, of the Sedonia Institute. And uh, my background is basically in the visual arts uh I started out as a uh, an artist, a painter, and a sculptor, and uh, I taught art for a while. I exhibited up in uh, New York. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, now living here in Virginia. And uh, in the 80s, uh, early 90s, I exhibited in uh, New York and Soho, uh, Pennsylvania area throughout New Jersey. I was the uh, uh, president and director of the New Jersey Sculptors Association for a couple of years. And so basically my background is in art and sculpture, and uh, I got interested in uh, doing some uh, investigation of uh, NASA photographs. And um, what I like to say is that uh, basically I know sculpture when I see it, and I see a lot of sculpture on Mars. That's, that's true. You know, and that's another way of looking at it, too. And um, it's very uh, unusual, again, and we are talking about synchronicity earlier, of how things all go together, and I feel like you were just the perfect person to uh, start this whole thing and talk about these anomalies on the planet. And uh, you're well qualified in um, these areas of recognizing these different artistic things. So, and then the the things that you're interested in. Um, are you also interested in art history? Uh, yes, uh, I studied art history in college, and. Uh, um, very interested in American Indian culture, uh, the art of American Indians, uh, Mesoamerica, Peruvian art, and uh, you know, not, you know, besides modern art with Picasso and things like that. So, yes, I do have a very uh, long history of uh, studying uh, art throughout the throughout the world. You know, Roman art, Greek, Minoan, Egyptian, you know, and how they all relate to each other in, in different aspects. 
Yeah, and how um, uh, for you to, uh, you were talking about how you study icons and stuff like that. Are you talking like religious art too? Um, well, that comes into some of the study because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the art uh, during the Renaissance was, you know, spon- sponsored by churches. So that's basically if you weren't doing, you know, allegorical paintings and things like that, you know, you weren't making any money or having any uh, patrons. So, you know, the, the church was a very intricate part of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, art history. And uh, a lot of you know, primitive art is all based on their mythology and religion, too. So it, it's all very similar. It is, and uh, I actually studied for a while. I, I have an art degree, and uh, I actually studied a while with the priests, and we doing icons and stuff like that, and we went over that part of history. And it's very interesting how it's interwoven into your work, and uh, it's, it's 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 interesting. It's uh, like we're reading well, like the, the whole I, the whole idea of modern yeah. art. Uh, a lot of the modern artists, like Picasso, and you know all, all of those uh, that that time period, they, they were all influenced by primitive art. And, you know, that became known as modern art, but basically the influence, you know, they were very interested in, uh, you know, ancient um, Greek art and uh, Mesoamerican art and all types of uh, um, the, you know, the art, basically the primitives, African art. And, you know, Picasso, you know, used a lot of those ideas into his work. So A lot of that color, too, you know. Right. It's a, yeah, it's, it's great. Now, can I ask you something, because I was looking up with something that I never realized. I was, you know, doing research for the show tonight, and um, I came upon uh, something interesting, that in 1896, uh, we're all like Tesla lovers. A whole bunch of us are following Nikola Tesla, and we just think he could have right. saved the world. But he also suggested that an extreme version of his wireless electrical transmission system could be used to contact beings on Mars. Now, well, do you yeah, know this? Tesla. Yeah, Tesla did a lot of experiments with, uh, uh, you know, trying to att- attract radio waves and things from Mars, which was very interesting. Isn't that interesting? It's, yeah, uh, there's also a guy named... It. Go ahead. Uh, I think his name's Jenkins. Uh, he actually uh, received uh, radio waves from Mars, and he, he had printed out some... Uh, he had actually um, <clears throat> was able to uh, print them out like uh, he was doing a digital imagery, basically, at the time. And uh, he had... Uh, did some printouts of uh, the messages that he was getting from Mars. I think that happened in the early 1900s. I can't recall. It's kind of yeah, it did. It but like, I could look uh, it up for you. But no, it's like 1924. When right. Happened. Yeah. It, Jenkins. Yeah. And the Jenkins and Amherst College. I mean, this is just fascinating things that are all like piecing together. And I know a lot of us are still wanting, uh, you know, like followers of Tesla. You know, oh, let's, yeah, Tesla was, uh, I wasn't expecting his name to come up like this. Well, you know, he, he was uh, uh, a genius and, uh, you know, I think basically died penniless. And uh, it's just an amazing thing that, you know, he had a lot of uh, conflicts going on with, uh, you know, the, the government and uh, the whole direction of the country and a lot of suppression of uh, his inventions uh, that, you know, free energy and things like that, which, you know, you can't make money on that. That's so. right. But that's, that's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other show, so we'll go on to that another time. And then, um, so your background is in art and art science, and then um, we were going to ask this question again, so let's go again and just in case. Is it, when did you first become interested in art? Um, well, My in mark. the... Uh, well, in, in the I remember when I was in high school, I was uh, 
my graduation class was uh, 1976, so it was the bicentennial uh, of the United States. And uh, it, I don't know if any of your listeners uh, were alive at the time or remember that in 1976 uh, they used to have bicentennial minutes on television. It was a big promotion for the you know the the 200 yeah, year anniversary of America. And uh, NASA had the Viking uh, orbiter around Mars, and it was going to actually – the original plan was for the Viking to land uh, at Sedonia uh, on July 4th. Uh, but they, uh, when they went up there and started taking pictures of uh, the possible landing sites, they decided that the Sedonia region was, was uh, too unsafe. And uh, you know, as soon as they found the face there, they figured they don't want to land there. And so they landed in the Utopia area, so it was a whole different landing and uh, so, you know, just from being in high school with the, the Viking mission, mission, um, uh, missions and all of the, the talk about uh, Mars, you know, it was something that was on my mind. And that summer, NASA had released the image of the famous face on Mars, uh, which was actually, you know, officially released from Mars or from NASA. And they said that they had found this picture that uh, seemed to have a, a formation that kind of looked like a face. And uh, then they said a, f- a few days later they took another picture of it and it just disappeared. And, you know, of course, at the time, everybody believed what, uh, you know, they heard on the news and nobody questioned anything. You know, NASA was this uh, reputable organization, so everybody just forgot about it. And uh, myself included, you know, you just was something that you, you know, remembered from uh, the 1976 when they went up to uh, landed on Mars. And then uh, in around 19... 19- uh, 92, uh, they were going to have uh, another mission to Mars, and uh, that's when the whole idea about the face on Mars came back into the uh, the consciousness, and people were thinking, oh yeah, remember the the Viking image had taken that weird picture? Maybe they'll take another picture of that. And uh, that was the Mars Orbiter, which uh, actually, when it got orbiting around Mars, uh, they lost contact with it, and so uh, we were unable to uh, retrieve any pictures from that. So again, we had to wait until 1998 when they set up the Mars Global Surveyor, uh, which actually orbited and took uh, the famous uh, 1998 picture of the face on Mars. So during all that time period, I got more interested and intrigued about that idea. And, of course, my background in art, you know, a a face on another planet that kind of Mm -hmm. was intriguing. So um, that's what led into my interest in that. And then, of course, I had ordered Richard Hoagland's book, uh, The Monuments of Mars, and uh, that really intrigued me. And uh, so that's basically how I got interested in this. It's uh, I think I, I remember because remember it was uh, now to me it's more beautiful and scientific. But back then it was like almost on 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 the myth, you know. Like uh, I can't speak tonight because I'm, I'm I got nervous with all that uh, glitch going on. But it was almost scary to see the Mars uh, face with the teeth and the whole thing. You know, at first. Yeah, the, the the lighting of the original Viking image w- was very dramatic. Um, yes. The thing was that um, NASA had taken actually another picture of that, which was taken like 35 days later, uh, when they originally announced that they took another picture three days later and it, it disappeared. Right from the beginning, most of the public didn't know how the process worked. But when they take a picture, it would take another almost another month, you know, thirty some days before they went around the planet to take an, have the opportunity to take another picture. So they couldn't have taken the second picture until like a month later. So obviously, right from the beginning, they were being disingenuous with the public. 
So, but the second image they took was actually of better detail uh, than the, the original one that they released to the public. And the, the second picture actually had a lot more detail of the eye feature, and it actually showed there was um, more on the other side of the face, uh, because the original image that most people remember from the 1976 Viking shot was that the, the, um, the eastern side of the face is in, is in shadow. And that's the image the, uh, that Richard Hoagland had used, uh, that had Dr. Mark Corlato, who's a member of the Society for Planetary Study Research, who had done some uh, enhancements of that uh, second image and was able to bring out where people saw what looked like teeth and things like that in the mouth and the, the eye looked more like an eye. But mm-hmm. as NASA says uh, you know, publicly that you know, they've taken all these newer pictures and the more pictures they take shows that it's not a, it's not a face, uh, which is actually correct because the face on Mars is really not a symmetrical human face. Uh, when people originally heard that you know, NASA had taken this picture of a face on Mars, uh, you know, their, their visualization in their mind was that you know, this probably looked like Elvis Presley or Frank Sinatra. You know, it's, a, it's a human face. But actually the face on Mars is a bifurcated structure. It's got a human-type face on one side and a feline on the other, which right from the beginning you got a complicated composite art form. So and that's not what it was. So NASA has a tendency to, like, you know, mince its words. So when they say it's not a human face, they're really not lying to the public because it's not. It's not a human face. It's a bifurcated face. So yes. although they're, they're trying to, you know, guide your attention away from what it is by saying that, you know, that we've taken these pictures and it's obvious not a human face, it isn't. It's a bifurcated, two-faced mask type of image. So... And the more pictures NASA takes of the face on Mars, even the new uh, Mars reconnaissance high-rise images, they just reinforce over and over and over that this is a humanoid on the western side and a feline on the, the eastern side. And the, the details are just you know, undisputable. But it's, it's not an easy thing for someone to come on the news and say, hey, we've got a picture that looks like a face. It's not a face. It's a, it's a more complicated a composite image of a human and feline. And then, of course, you've got to get into all of the explanation of why that is, which leads us to Mesoamerica, which is a whole other can of worms because we've got them running over our border right now. And why is that? I don't know. I don't Does it know. have anything to do with what's on Mars? I wonder. This could be a plot. See, see everything but. we're finding on Mars, I mean, with all of this... Uh, you know, uh, all these children that are, you know, pouring over into our, our country in the last three or four months. All of these images that we're finding on Mars in both of our books all have to do with the uh, mythologies and uh, the artwork of Mesoamerica. So it's kind of interesting that we're having this influx of uh, um, Mesoamerican people coming into our country at this time. Yeah, it's really... Uh... What is Maybe really going on? A, yeah, what's really going on? Because you know they were here at first, and they might they were kicked out or migrated out, and now everybody's migrating back in. Um, who knows how many times this has happened? But it was right, and maybe other, they were on yeah. another planet at one time. Who knows? That's strange. Are there uh, like there's other structures I noticed? Uh, they look like buildings, some look like trees, and then some disappear and come back. Uh, do you have any information on that? Um, yeah, those were the – Arthur C. Clarke had uh, really promoted the what they called the, the Martian trees 
uh, which actually, some of the photographs, they actually look like they were aerial photographs looking at, down at, on trees. And then the NASA had taken some higher resolution pictures of the same area, like in the wintertime when the trees died or whatever kind of plant life these things are. And what you see is, all you see is like the um, uh, the, the dead, you know, in the wintertime where we have all, all the leaves are gone and you have like, you know, skeletal trees. So from the air, that's what these look like. Like they look like flat skeletal, there's like just veins going off and they call, they call them spiders. But they don't have the nice fluffy, you know, coating that they had, you know, in the springtime. So NASA puts these images out and they go, see, these aren't trees. They're, they're just these little distorted, you know, vine, vein things in the surface. And, you know, they just don't know how uh, the, the seasonal changes, what that has to do. It, it may be some type of bacterial growth that looks like trees. You know, they, they really don't. It's not treated scientifically by NASA. It's treated more like a novelty. They, they try to dismiss everything instead of having a real serious conversation so once they get a picture, it would be like them taking pictures of Earth and seeing trees, uh, you know, aerial views looking down on trees. And then in the wintertime when there's no leaves on the trees and they look like, you know, these skeletal veiny things on the ground because mm-hmm. you're taking a picture from the air, they say, see, there's nothing there. Move on. <laughs> so it's basically the same thing. Once NASA has a picture of something that, you know, dismisses what you think it is, they're, they're all happy to show you that. It's like the rover that drives around and takes all these pictures of all the rocks. You know, you have, we have like two rovers running around there. And any time in the distance you see a rock that doesn't look like a rock, you, you look at these, these panoramic views and you go, oh, look at that weird rock over there. That looks like part of a, you know, a machine from a, from a motor. Maybe they should go over and take a look at that. And they go left and they go away from it and they go over to a, a something. That, they go over and look at a rock that actually is a rock, but that other formation that looks like it might be a mechanical debris, they stay away from that. They don't go up close and put the little sniffer on there and do any test on that. They, you only get, you know, distant shots of that, which is how they treat everything. Do you think they're everything. doing it, okay, do you think that they're like hiding photographs, they'll, t- they'll go back to it, note it, go back to it, and then just hoard the real information? No, I, I think the rover that I think the rover that's up there is just for our entertainment, and they probably have other rovers that are actually up there doing that's what I'm trying to say. doing other work, real work. Right. So they're kind but, of treating us like idiots and babies, and they're they're. But just, it's it's just obvious that there's really not right. But it's obvious that there's really not many places they can travel without running into something. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's, there's debris everywhere, and it look you know, Doctor. Uh, Dr. John uh, Brandenburg of the Society for Planetary SETI Research, um, he just submitted a paper to um, the Space Technology and Applications Institute when, back in April when we submitted our paper on the profile face. And his theory is that at Mars uh, w- was devastated by some kind of nuclear explosion. that might have been a war. And if, if you follow his line of thinking that Mars at one time was a – had a, had a major civilization on it that was destroyed. Uh, looking at all these little pictures that we're seeing from the rover driving around, there seems to be debris from some type of war, uh, all types of uh, mechanical bits and pieces all over the place. You know, like you'd see in a war zone. Uh, you know, that have been there for you know possibly thousands of years. I noticed because there's like metallic-looking objects. There was a long, spiny-looking object. Oh, yeah, there's you all know, kinds of weird looks, things, yeah. It looks yeah. like Fallout or something. It looks like, yeah. it just looks like that. Yeah, there's, you know, and, and you don't have to be a geologist to know that something looks out of place. 
And and you know you'll look at rocks that have like you know uh, 90 degree angles and they look like I've seen pictures of these little square looking and rectangular looking rocks sitting next to other rocks that have been eroded and wind you know that you see your natural wind erosion but they're yeah. sitting right next to the other rocks it's like that doesn't happen in a in a normal environment normally when you have different rocks you know of course they're they're getting weathered and whatever you know Mars doesn't have that type of uh, pressure where you're going to get you know they blame a lot of this erosion on wind dust storms but mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have enough gravity and pressure on Mars to really you know you know beat up a nice windstorm that's going to give you some nice, you know. Have you ever seen anybody use a, a sandblaster? I mean, yes. those things are pretty powerful. I mean, that's what you'd have to have, you know, real major winds blowing sand around to, you know, deteriorate things. But you don't really get that type of uh, uh, windstorms on Mars. I mean, there's... It doesn't it, even look like that. It doesn't even look... It looks like somebody left in a hurry and left a bunch of stuff behind to me. Right, it and that, that's just, just that been, you know, a lot of dirt and dust on it that, you know, if you go over right. there and dust it off, you, you'd be surprised. <laughs> that's just so, the way it seems to me, and it's a weird feeling, too. And we have really, in the, our movie culture, have had people living on Mars and bubbles and everything. This has been even going when, uh, you know, the old, uh, oh, the, the what's his name, Roger Jett or somebody, whoever he was, but anyway... Uh, they were, you know, flying to Mars, and there's people on Mars and all that stuff. And, and it's so odd that now that we're getting pictures of it, there really is a bunch of debris left behind. That's what it looks like to me, that somebody was there, now they're gone. Right, and it, it looks like b- debris that was blown up. There's, there was some kind of yeah. conflict. And what uh, Dr. Uh, Brandenburg's found is that the isotopes and, you know, all of this uh, science that he's doing shows that this is not natural uh, Radiation. This is radiation caused by a nuclear explosion. It's not a natural type of radiation. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I mean, you, you could read his paper, but it's very convincing. And it just leaves a lot of questions that, you know, w- what happened there? And just following his research with, with the science that's found in, in, in the, uh, the soil and in the air and in the environment that shows evidence of a nuclear uh, catastrophe, uh, looking at all the debris sitting around, it looks like you know, somebody had a major conflict on Mars uh, long ago and blew up the planet and possibly came here. Yeah, they're hanging out here now, and how strange. <laughs> it's, it's strange because uh, you're kind of correlating my my instinct about the whole thing. I've always felt like something happened, they left in a hurry and left a bunch of stuff behind, or they're all dead, or... It doesn't look like... Okay, so if you took pictures of our planet and, like, go out to Death Valley... You know, uh, it doesn't look like that. Even though there's a lot of desert, even the Sahara. Just think about our Sahara Desert, or it goes on for miles and miles. You'll see beautiful sand mountains, and and uh, you know how the wind shifts and makes all those lines. And right, everything. but when you find but rocks and stuff, yeah. they're pretty. They're pretty regular. They are all they're yeah. indigenous. But, but we're seeing like just looking at these pictures of the rovers taking these pictures of the rocks. There's all kinds of rocks. You have rocks that look like they're part of. They're, they're lava rocks from a volcanic problem that, you know, you know what volcanic rock looks like. You see a lot of these air bubbles and things in them. And then there's the smooth rocks next to it, and then there's, no, it, there's like just the amount of different type of uh, geological rocks sitting around is just, just kind of weird. It is weird. It's a, and it's some a of them don't feeling. look like rocks. <laughs> no, some of them don't look like rocks. They look like a piece of a building or a yeah, piece some of some them kind have, of... Uh, 
artwork that it looks like there's remnants of artwork, partial, uh, you know, scrolling and things like that. It's like that looks out of place. What's that going on there? Part of a building fell off. Wow. So. Well, we're going to find out. Well, there's out a lot of that going on. And besides that, is. we have all of the large geoglyphic uh, formations that we're looking at. Yeah, it's, it's uh, wow. You know, it's a, it's a lot of information. And uh, actually, you have uh, made a documentary about it, the Mars Codex. Yes, um, the Mars Codex, that was an idea of my co-author, William Saunders. Uh, my Our first two books, the Mars Codex, which came out in 2005, and uh, we, our second book was the Mars, the Martian Codex, uh, and that came out, I think, in 2009. They were both uh, by North Atlantic Books. And Bill is a, a, a geomorphologist. He's from uh, Canada. He's uh, up in uh, Calgary, Canada. And mm-hmm. I met I met Bill originally back in the 90s when uh, uh, NASA released that uh, second uh, image from the. 1998 with the Mars Global Surveyor, which you know started all this research. Uh, so I met Bill on uh, an internet uh, chat room that was uh, housed by uh, the Enterprise mission, which was Richard Hoagland's old site. He actually had a discussion board where you could just sign in and uh, you know go on his discussion board. It was a very exciting time at that at time period. So that's where I met Bill, and uh, him and I really got along. We had uh, similar ideas about what we were seeing in these images. And uh, Bill and I decided to uh, uh, put all of our discoveries together and put a book out. And that was probably in 1999. And we figured, yeah, we'll get this done. By next year, we'll have a book out. And it took about five years <laughs> before we got our book uh, published. And uh, over the years, uh, with all of this stuff that we've been collecting, uh, Bill thought it would be, you know, with the new idea with the Internet and everything and visual um, YouTube and stuff like that, uh, we thought we'd put out a, uh, a small documentary about highlighting some of the discoveries in our first two books. And mostly this was all Bill's idea. He spent about a year on this uh, by himself before he even gave me a call what he was doing. And uh, what he'd done was, uh, like I said, he basically highlighted uh, some of the major discoveries we made, and he figured he'd put this all together in a DVD and we'd put it up on YouTube. And uh, so we looked into YouTube. Uh, we were going to just put it up for free. And, but YouTube basically, if you put anything up on YouTube, they basically own it. So we mm-hmm. didn't really like that idea with uh, finding anything away like that. Because uh, we, you know, we put a lot of work in this. And I've, I'm sure you right. see everybody has all this stuff up on YouTube. But basically when you sign the agreement, they basically can do whatever they want with it, and they basically own it once you put it up on YouTube. So I did not say uh, that. Right, so Bill decided that uh, he was he uh, had a guy come in and design a website for us, and uh, so we got a website up. It's called the Mars Codex, and it basically you can download the uh, it's the the documentary is about 47 minutes long, and you can uh, download that for like 4.95 on our um, website, or you can order the DVD for uh, I think it's 19.95. When we originally put it out, it was about 10 bucks. Uh, but we've raised, raised the price from the original premiere. It's available on uh, Amazon and uh, some other uh, distributors carry it. And uh, it was debuted in uh, January, came out, and we've been doing fairly well with it. And the whole idea of it is basically just to familiarize people with uh, you know what we're doing, and if uh, they're interested in what they see in the DVD, we're hoping they buy the books. So, 
and it's it's kind of uh, on the order of um, Al Gore's um, documentary that he did. Um, God, what was the about name of that? the weather? Right. Um, uh, yeah. Which is the, in, in inconvenient um, truth. Inconvenient truth. Right. Uh, which is basically a PowerPoint presentation that you know he's standing in front of the screen and uh, it's basically just a PowerPoint. So ours is a PowerPoint presentation. We have a, a narrator that we hired, a guy up in Canada that does commercials and stuff, and he does narrating books and things. He's a great voice. So he he narrates the the, the whole program. Um, it we also have a, a soundtrack. There's music uh, which uh, my son my um, son-in-law. Uh, did the music for. He's a musician, and he's uh, done a few soundtracks and things. So um, it was done on a tight budget, but it actually came out really well, and it looks great. And we did a lot of graphics with the the, the, the PowerPoint, and um, we think it really uh, is pretty powerful. It sounds great. So it can it can be uh, uh, bought from uh, the Mars. Yeah, if Codex. your listeners want to go to the the MarsCodex.com, just type in on the. On the uh, computer there on the internet, uh, the Mars Codex, and it should come up. And it's called the Mars Codex, a uh, manuscript of an ancient text. And uh, they can either order it through the, the website or go to Amazon and order it. Um, it's uh, 1995 for the DVD, or you can just download the, the image on your laptop for, I think it's like 495 or something like that. And I think you can have that for like five days or something. So we, we've been... Uh, Getting a lot of movement with that, and people are pretty pretty happy with Excellent. it. So. Excellent. So I highly recommend your books, and uh, I was reading through the things, and I it looks like a lot of information, and you know this is all cutting edge and new information that uh, it sounds much better than all the weird and mysterious stuff that I've been hearing for quite a while. So I actually give you credit for that because I, I love it when people take the scholarly approach and uh, just go into it and do all the research because. Uh, when we read it, we have a better understanding, and we're actually learning. You know, I, I really get irritated when I'm just hearing a bunch of baloney, and I can't keep tracking it. But your stuff is very easy to read and a, a very enjoyable and a lot of information, you know, that we need to hear. Because I think this is reflective of what's going on. I think we're having some kind of strange awakening. If many, many people are interested in this. I'm a forensic therapist for the, uh, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, strangely enough. But anyway... Um, they're all very aware of what's going on, and they talk about this stuff all the time. You know, they wow. follow coast to coast, and they're, you know, everybody's eagerly wanting information, you know, and I'm, I'm really happy that you're giving it. So uh, now, why did you call that image? There's another image that is quite striking, and you called it the Nefertiti face. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the the, the, the Nefertiti face was discovered by uh, one of the members of the Society for Planetary Study Research. Um, hold on a second. I'm trying to bring it up on my computer here. And where is my stuff? I thought I had it here. Just give me a second. I just have the picture. Do you have the picture up on your... Um, yeah, it was on there. I'm gonna have to put everything. I'm gonna have to reload everything, but I have it. And uh, actually, you, you, were you? Did you draw that picture? Yeah, the the illustration. Uh, it's actually it's a profiled image. It looks like a a young woman. Uh, she's got yes, a large headdress. Right. Yeah. 
that image was found by uh, John Levisher. He's a um, a professor up in um, a college up in Maine, and uh, he's a member of the Society for Planetary SETI Research. And uh, he discovered this this formation um, back in I think 2000. It's been a while ago. And NASA took uh, these. I think if your if your listeners have access to um, your your website there, where they can see the images, um, NASA took uh, a picture of this in I think it was actually 1999. I think it was released in 2000, and then a second image came out in, uh, a year later in 2001. They have two two um, Mars Global Surveyor images of this this uh, profile, and it's basically it's a it's like a black and white image. It looks like a stained type of uh, painting of, of a female face with this large headdress. Now, originally when people saw this, uh, this has been around on the Internet for a long time. Any of your listeners want to just type in Nefertiti face on Mars, they probably see all kinds of information about it. And we've only had these two images. Uh, that, that One of the major problems with this research, uh, you know, we've been doing this since 1991, myself, Bill, and I, Mm-hmm. So it's it's a long time, and we have to just wait and wait and wait for NASA. You know, we can send requests because they they do have a process where you can actually try to guide the camera to take different pictures of different areas of Mars, and you you, you fill out these forms and you you put a, a suggestion in for them to. And you have to give geological reasons of why you want them to focus the camera on this this area. You can't say, well, there's a area here that looks like there's a female face, they they wouldn't be interested in that. They want to know the geological interest and why you're looking at this area. So you have to submit it in that that sense and hope that they take more pictures of that area. So Does that we're work for anybody you know? Oh uh, yeah, they they, um, they did it? Oh yeah. We've we've submitted uh, actually with the the parrot formation, our first science paper, we, we had them uh, actually uh, take newer pictures of that area. So occasionally it does happen, um, but it, it's a long process. I mean, if you look at our first book, we have a lot of formations in there that we only have like two pictures, and it's, it's been like 20 years, and we don't have any more pictures of these areas. And if you're trying to do any kind of scientific analysis of a formation, especially on Mars, you want to have at least three different images at different seasons and different lighting conditions so you can, you know, uh, substantiate that this is actually, you know, a formation that's legitimate, and you can confirm that this formation is there. It's not just a trick of light, like they tried to say with the face on Mars. So you have to have duplicated images of these formations. We just can't rely on one image. So with the Nefertiti face, for years we only had these first two images, which uh, I had sent you. And then in um, a couple of years ago, in I think um, 2010, 2011, or whatever. Uh, NASA took a, 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 a lot more pictures of this image. So we had more images, higher resolution from the Mars uh, Global, um, or actually the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, the high-rise camera, had taken some uh, pictures of this area. And what they were interested in, and, uh, this area has a lot of dust storms, so they were monitoring dust storms, which happened to be in this area. And so that's how we happened to get more images of this. And so those new images actually confirmed that we were seeing this profile face. So this is a legitimate image. It's there. It's not just something that uh, appeared in one image. Uh, so we're basically showing that this is an established uh, formation. And so we had uh, put a science paper together that we had submitted uh, to the, um, the Space Technology and Applications International Forum, 
which was out in uh, Arizona back in April, and it was ex- accepted out there, and we're waiting for publication in uh, the science journal. So that's that's pretty exciting. And uh, that's the history of this, this face, which was discovered way back in 19- or 2000 by uh, J.P. Levisure. And uh, we joined up with him last year because uh, Bill and I had decided to uh, put a science paper together about this because we had discovered these uh, newer images of the, the formation which confirmed it. So we figured it was pretty exciting to you know, try to put a paper together. And I had contacted John, and he didn't even know that these new images were out there, so I had sent him the links. And uh, so that's what led into the science paper. Um, do you think this formation is related to the Egyptians and the Mayans in any way? Well, right. That's how it originally got titled when uh, he started uh, circulating this back in the early 2000s. That people initially seeing the headdress, they said it, you know, looked like uh, Egyptian, and uh, that's where the the moniker uh, the Nefertiti face came from. But actually, um, a lot of cultures uh, produce these these type of headdress. Uh, in the paper, we we show that uh, you know this this is a, a type of headdress that you not only you see in Egyptian culture, but it's also in Mesoamerican culture. Now, is your one paper of the strange... on your page? Excuse me, is your paper on your 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 page over? Uh, what, what page do you have? The Sidonia Institute. Is it all that uh, stuff the, available this, there? Um, the the science paper is not uh, available publicly yet because uh, okay. we're we're waiting publication. We, we can't post this until it's published, and if it doesn't right. get accepted in the the, um, the the Journal of Science, which we should be hearing pretty soon, then we'll, we'll probably uh, put it up on the uh, Sidonia Institute. We, we have a link on our science papers page, but it just says it's not published yet. Okay. So one of the things with when you, when you submit papers to a publication, uh, it's very restrictive. You, know, you, you can't have it submitted to two other journals. You can only submit to one journal at a time, and then it okay. takes time for them to process it, and there's peer review and all these, these type of things. So it's it's very time-consuming. Uh, like our first paper on the, the parrot formation, it took six years to get published. I want to ask you about that. You were talking about science is slow. Formation <laughs> day. So, tell well, you know, sometimes it takes a hundred years. So at least it isn't a hundred years. Right. You're right. You know what I mean? <laughs> In the past, it would take that long. Well, the 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 parrot paper uh, that was the parrot formation. And that's one reason why I wanted to come on your show, because I wanted your audience to know that, you know, there's people out there doing serious research. We're not just putting images up and saying, oh, look at this. Isn't this cool? This looks like a face. You know, we're trying to, uh, you know, look at this in a a scientific uh, setting. And once we get the the data together, we think that these formations are uh, legitimate enough to submit to a real science paper and, and put to a journal. And that's one of the the, uh, the goals of the Society for Planetary SETI Research. If any of your listeners want to go over to the, the website that has the the, um, the Society for Planetary SETI Research, they can click on there and see the members, and there's a whole list of uh, papers that uh, some of the scientists there have had uh, published in uh, science journals about the uh, odd formations on Mars, uh, uh, pyramidal formations and the face on Mars and things like that. So, you know... There's people out there doing legitimate science. When, when you hear people argue about, you know, well, nobody's investigating this, you know, NASA. Of course, NASA's ignoring it, but there are people like ourselves, you know, trying to get this, uh, you know, looked at in, in a more um, uh, professional setting. So 
our first paper uh, that we had published was the uh, an avian formation, which is like a parrot formation that was on Mars, and that was mm-hmm. published in 2011 in the uh, the Journal of Scientific Exploration. And the the parrot was originally discovered by a, a member of the Sedoni Institute, my other group, uh, Will Faust. Uh, he was a city planner. He lived in um, Pennsylvania. He was also trained as an anthropologist, and uh, he was uh, very interested in checking out NASA photographs, and he'd go through all of their strips and things and look for oddities. And he had found this uh, parrot formation back in uh, 2000 and uh, presented it to our group, and uh, we all thought it was very interesting. And um, we had uh, three veterinarians take a look at it, Uh, one veterinarian being an avian specialist, uh, Dr. Oros, who's out in Ohio, and she's an avian specialist. Uh, she's renowned. She speaks at uh, veterinarian conferences. She's ha- she has over 20-some papers published about parrots. So she, her whole focus is parrots as a veterinarian. And uh, we were able to uh, send her the information and the, the images and the, the, um, the NASA photographs, and uh, she did a, a write-up for us for our original science paper. And uh, we had her and two other veterinarians. So they agreed that they uh, saw 17 points of anatomical correctness in this parrot. So this just wasn't a formation that kind of looked like a parrot, you know, a, an outline or something. This this had detail and structure. I mean, there was eyes, uh, the feathers, the, all of the anatomical features. So, uh, you know, this went way beyond any kind of, uh, you know, illusional cloud formation or, or something. So uh, we thought yeah. this was a pretty valid piece. So. And uh, we had submitted it to a few science journals from the beginning. We sent them uh, our abstracts. And I can remember sending an abstract to the, the Mars Research Society, which they had put a journal out. And I sent it to them, let's say, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. At five minutes after 12, they sent me a, a response back that it was rejected. I didn't even present the paper to them. Just on the abstract, it was, it was rejected. <laughs> they didn't even see a picture of it. So, you know, like it's pretty a tough. Scientific curiosity. I mean, oh, yeah. slamming down so much. And uh, to me, it's really ignorant to do that because uh, there's so much to learn. And, you know, we have many people, investigators out there and researchers and stuff. There's a reason that everybody's interested in this. Right. Well, the, the thing with the parrot about, you know, waiting for images, we only right. had two two good images that we were working with that we were putting the paper together. And we submitted it to uh, the British Journal of Science and also the Journal of Scientific Exploration, and they both rejected it, saying that we needed more um, data, we needed better images. So that kind of like put us on hold for a while. And we didn't know that uh, when our book was released, uh, the, Mars, the Martian Codex, our second book, this came out in 2009. Right. And when the book came out, Bill and I, we were on uh, Coast to Coast uh, with um, – George Norrie, and we were on there August 22nd, 2009, and that day, uh, NASA releases uh, in the what well, they did when they had the Mars Global Surveyor at that time in, in uh, 2009, and every day uh, since NASA had the Mars Global Surveyor program, they would put up the image of the day. You know, they'd, they'd have this interesting, cool image that they saw that they thought the public would like, so um, they would... Uh, Dr. Uh, Malin, who ran the, the camera, he'd put up this image of the day. And they did this for years. 
And usually the image of the day was something that they had just photographed like the last six months. It was a new, newer image from that year. So on August 22, uh, 2009, uh, our book had come out, and we had featured the parrot formation. We hadn't had the science paper published yet, but in our second book, in uh, one of the chapters, uh, Chapter 8, we, fe we featured the, the parrot formation because we couldn't get it published in the science journal, so we figured we were having our second book come out. So we had a chapter, a whole chapter on there about the parrot. And uh, we only had the two images. And on August 22nd, when we were on Coast to Coast, uh, Mike Malin put up on the um, NASA website, the image of the day was the picture of uh, the parrot, which we thought was pretty interesting because we were on Coast to Coast. Wow. And that was in 2009, and he put up the 2006 image, which was in our book. But that was the image of the day. And I thought that was kind of weird, like, you know, they must be paying attention because, you know, we just happened to be on coast to coast tonight, and uh, they put up the image of the day, this parrot formation, which was taken <laughs> in three years prior. <laughs> it wasn't yep. six months ago. It was three years prior. And then I find out from a friend of mine, Keith Laney, uh, who a, was a big uh, – help in, uh, with Richard Hoagland's work. And uh, Keith Laney, he's an image specialist. He, he does great work in um, uh, doing uh, work with NASA. He's also worked on some of the, uh, uh, the moon images that NASA took during the, uh, the, the 60s. And he does really great enhancements. Uh, he does great work. And so he informed me that uh, he had been alerted that NASA had taken a, a picture in, uh, of the, the parrot, and they had just released it silently on the web that same time. And so he sent me a link to it. So we now had a third image, and this third image was of the highest resolution. It was a beautiful picture of the parrot, which is featured in the science paper. So we were all set after that. We had our third image, so uh, we were pretty excited. And uh, so we went back to the paper. We added the new image, and uh, we added all the analysis of that. We sent it out to the veterinarians. They all took a look at it, and, of course, it was even a better picture. It confirmed everything, and we resubmitted our paper, and it was published. So that's how it happened. I'm just, uh, it's, you know, I, your perseverance is, is quite astounding because I think I would, you know, give up at some certain point, but you're persevering and going through and I know that they're going to actually come come out with some picture that's going to shock the heck out of everybody, you know? Right. Well, we think this parrot picture could shock the heck out of a lot of people. <laughs> it is. It's it's just strange. So now, where are you posting that? But see, this, the see the third the third picture was see we, we had a picture from 2000 of the parrot, and the second picture that you know uh, Malin put up on the night we were on coast to coast. That mm -hmm. picture was taken in 2006, but this was 2009, you know, three years later that we're on coast to coast. Now, the, the third picture that was the highest resolution picture was actually taken in 2005, but it was not released until 2009. And it was released on August 22nd, 2009, the night we were on coast to coast. Can you believe that? I'm just, you know, getting it in my head what's so they, going on. They so set on, they set on a picture. See, NASA, they have a, um, <clears throat> Malin had a contract with NASA. Malin was the one that developed the Mars Global Surveyor camera. And NASA had given him the, the rights to take pictures of whatever he wanted to. The scientists had to submit, you know, 
importance is to him to get them to take these pictures. And his contract was that he had uh, all pictures he took had to be released within a year. Usually it was six months after they were taken, they'd be released to the, to the public. But, you know, no longer than a year. So this third picture that we were waiting for was actually photographed in 2005 and wasn't released until August 22nd, 2009. Just amazing. Yeah, so, so they basically sat on this picture all this time, knowing that we well, were working on this. You know, it's so frustrating. One one day, you know, I was just, I don't know what I was doing, but I just had a, an epiphany about how they're keeping so much research of findings and other things like what you're talking about. They're keeping it from us. And we're, they are. we're the one paying we're the one paying the bill so that they can do this research. Right. Now and this Here's picture was like quietly released. I mean, I didn't even know about it without Keith Laney giving me a heads up, who, you know, works with NASA. So without, wow. you know, Keith Laney telling me I probably would have never found it. Well so it's pretty amazing. It's amazing. I have a friend that uh is NASA certified and uh she has been working. Uh, she won't uh, come out and do disclosure with me uh, because of all kinds of experiences I've had and some strange stuff that we've seen together and things like that. Yet she calls me a couple of weeks ago and says, you're not going to believe it. I don't want to talk about it over the phone because we all, you know, just like things that happen to the show, oddly and, oddly and weirdly, we all feel like we're getting sabotaged at times and to give up, but I'm not going to give up, and that's just the way I am. I'm just going to keep going. I'll get the show back Every going. time I'm on Coast to Coast, something uh, they, they, they I know, it's weird. With me. <laughs> I know. It's something strange, but I so think I wasn't surprised when you, when you had a problem tonight. I, you didn't I sound surprised. No, I, I was like, oh, here we go. I felt embarrassed because, you know, I respect you so much, and I didn't want to mess up the show. And then it happened, and I started thinking, you know, this is a plot. You know, as soon as we started talking, what were we talking about? I don't even want to bring it up again. Whatever we were talking about when it happened, right? We were shut yeah. down. Well, you know, I'm it's I'm here in right. Virginia, and uh, black helicopters go over our. We have a 13 acre farm. We have horses and chickens. Oh and, no! Yes. And uh, we have the black helicopters go over the house all the time, and and they they fly low. My Very my wife low. and I are down here. We're in here down in our family room watching TV at night, and we hear the mm-hmm. helicopters. It's like the house shakes. And you go outside, it's my and they're just flying around. Right yes, me too. My door rattles so loud, the dog barks. Yeah. That is low. And, and you know, people think I'm crazy that I tell them I see black not. helicopters, but my kids have seen them, so I know I'm not crazy. And they fly pretty low. I can actually see the guys in, in the cockpits. Oh, my God. That's how low <laughs> these guys are, but I'm too scared to... To go out there, you know. Cause oh, I go out and I yell. I go, "Come and get me! Come and get me!" Here I am. Uh, I no play with them. them off and everything. <laughs> I just hope but they don't shoot at me. Picture finally, yeah. I got a picture finally. Black. Uh, there were six of them going over. Yeah. I was trying to do a radio show about the. Uh, uh, and I had, oh, Doctor Lair on there, Stephen Bassett on there. There was like eight people I was interviewing up in North Hollywood, and then then they flew so close to the building it came on the show. They could hear. Everybody could hear it. Oh, yeah, the hell is up here? It was like, oh my and goodness! You know the, anyway. the chemtrails. That's another uh, issue. over our over our barn in the back field. When I come out in the morning, uh, uh, many times I they make an X. They do make an X and a Y. I have a picture of it. 
Right, I, I, I got pictures too. Alumni college. Yeah. I have it. I have it straight over my college that I went like, to college. Like, why are they making X's it's over my property? Why did they make an X <laughs> over my college? Yeah, yeah, making a big X. That's so. weird. Some in Texas That's what we deal with. And you know, people aren't really noticing that, and they think it's weird for us to talk about it. But I think the ones that are aware are noticing all this, and. Um, you know, this is what, uh, there's a comment from Claudette. She used a uh, comment. First she said, heard about Virginia, then uh-oh. But now she's saying that shouldn't be happening. It's interfering with the use and enjoyment of your home and property. There should be regulations, but what do you think about that? Um, I I just think that uh, they're just out there to taunt me. I feel the same way. Well, we don't live that far from Mount Weather. So my wife keeps saying, well, it's, there's a military place down there. That's why you're seeing them. But, you know, no. why are they flying over my house? Why your house? <laughs> They're regularly over my house. Right. I've had witnesses that go over there. Then they go to my best friend's house. But my best friend and I, I was talking about the NASA certified person. Oh, yeah, I told you until you end of the story. But anyway, right. they're going over her house. Her husband runs out and flips them off. And I said, okay, they're over my house. So they're going over your house. We Now now we have, thank God for phones, that we can contact each other. And we know when they're coming. I said, they're coming. And she right, said, here they come. And then she says, oh, my God, they're here. And I was like, I told you they were coming over to your house. It's just an odd thing to talk about. Normal people do not yeah. talk like we were talking. And they're, they're very sleek-looking. You know, they have that beautiful sinister-looking look. They're all black. They don't have any letters on them. And I see nope. helicopters fly around here that are, you know, they're taking aerial photographs of farms and stuff. You know, you see what they, those are normal helicopters, you know, so I know what a regular helicopter looks like. And we see a lot of those. But these, these black ones are pretty weird and they they they're just weird. come right over the house. Well, they're quasi military, but you can't. I know what a military helicopter looks like. They don't look like that. These are more sleek. Yeah, they're very know, sleek and they're, looking. Yeah. And, and there's no kind of really. Uh, it's kind of like a flat. On, um, it's a flat black. The flat black with some kind of yep. weird thing on the top, and they're so rude and low. I mean, when your door is rattling, your dog is barking, and they're shining a light on your house. And I, I swear to God, I saw a drone the other day. I haven't seen one yet. And they're did easy you, to did spot you hear because... On, go ahead. What's that? Did you hear on the news over here a drone actually uh, went up to somebody's window in a high-rise downtown LA? Yeah, I, I heard about that on the news out here, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the company that did it, <laughs> they said, up, well, we were, we were more than 25 feet away. <laughs> like, wow. oh, oh, that's okay. It's just a shock, but if I see one of those, I would probably, if I had a rifle, I'd shoot it down. I don't. I just think it's, it's, you know, the, between the, the strange sky. Well, you, cause here, they, they I don't, don't make any sound. Would, no, and uh, is your sky uh, weird over there? Here, we're experiencing sort of a strange fog cap most of the time over here. Oh, it's very it's clear out here in Virginia. Oh, good. That's nice. Because we're usually very sunny in California. It's not like that. There's like a weird, low-lying... So I can look out in the middle of the night, and it looks white in the sky. So, you know, they said it's some kind of fog, like a cap over everything. Uh, it's uh-huh. really claustrophobic. But anyway. Very weird. I guess it's happening to you, too. I wasn't even... I didn't even know this was going to happen that we were talking about this, but somebody hey, knew. Hey. hey, if you're dealing with this kind of stuff, uh, people are checking you out. I am. So, okay, so the end of that story was that, okay, one day she's calling me. She says, can I come over because I want to talk about this on the phone. And uh, she works on the satellites, right? 
So, and, and we've had many experiences together. She won't, I, I started, I was on a panel with Travis Walton and Captain Robert Salas, and now I'm out with my story, so I just go tell it, even though I'm still, you know, leery and scared, but I'll still, do, I'm doing it now. Anyway, she doesn't want anything to do with it. So finally she came over and she was talking to me on the porch. And she said, we're working on a new project, and guess what it is? And I went, well, what? And she says, searching for extraterrestrial life. And she looks at me, and her, she gave me such a weird look on her face. Now, we have been, uh, people that know me, abducted together. We have the same dreams. We're in this big house in the sky, and we have a lot, a lot of strange things happening. Anyway, and so, but she still is kind of in denial. But now that she's working on a satellite to look for alien life, it, it stunned her. <laughs> right. That they're actually making an investment to do that. Exactly. Isn't that something? Right. Huh? Well, she was she was from Northrop, but you know, it's and so she's been doing it, and uh, I think it came to her. It's, it's actually coming. Her subconscious is coming to her the surface, realizing not only am I experiencing it now, we're, I'm looking for it. Right. That's kind of and it's better. It's better to have the public think we have to look out there than look on Mars. Don't be looking on Mars. Or look in my living room. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, what do you got in your living room? I know. Oh, you know, men in black, UFOs, right. whatever. Anyway, and a little chihuahua. Uh, okay. So uh, tell me about there's another thing out there that I wanted to hear about. Is it tell me about the space technology and applications, the international forum. Yes, that that How was a well. Actually, um, one of the members of the Society for Planetary Study Research, uh, Dr. Brandenburg, uh, was was on the board of the Society of the uh, Space Technologies and Applications International. Uh, they had done a forum uh, the year before, and uh, so uh, Dr. Brandenburg was on uh, this the, the forum also this year. And uh, he had notified the members of the Society for Planetary City Research that they were opening it up to uh, the, the the first <clears throat> forum that they had was very restricted to um, your your typical uh, academic type papers for uh, research about science. Uh, but at this second forum, they decided to open it up to more anomalous things, possibly things on Mars or the Moon. So that's what opened the door for us to to get into that. So. Um, we had uh, been, like I had said earlier, uh, working on the uh, the science paper with uh, John Levashore, and mm -hmm. uh, when we found out that uh, they were also opening up this the, the forum on the uh, uh, at this forum for you know more broad papers, uh, that's when I, we got together with uh, John and decided to to put our paper together, and uh, we had worked on that for about six months. Uh, together and uh, we uh -huh. submitted it to the conference. And Dr. Uh, uh, Brandenburg also uh, submitted a paper. So a, a few of the members from the Society for Planetary Study Research uh, submitted papers. So it was a pretty good deal. That sounds good. And just the uh, you know the more people that will submit this for scientific review and the more stuff that goes through, I think that. You know, people have to wake up that there is certain things happening. And uh, I feel bad that NASA is turning the camera away to this interesting thing. We've got to keep a more open mind. Because to me, it's like we're back in the 50s again. You know, it's a yeah. constant irritation to me that I, you know, it's like faking it all the time. 
You know, when are we just going to get real, get some information? Well, I think one of the the, the major problems with with the government and disclosure. Uh, I know you have like people like Stephen Bassett's always, you know, trying to push disclosure. I just think the the government is scared to death of uh, terrorists uh, because the I, I don't think that uh, they would be very happy about this type of research. So you, it, well, how how does researching Mars have anything to do with the terrorists? I think they're just focused on some people having information. Is that? Well, yeah. Well, I um, you know not not to get involved in uh, in a whole discussion about. Uh, you know, Islamic terrorism and things like that. But, uh, you know, they're very uh, uh, set against this type of research. Uh, back when NASA um, landed on on Mars with the, the one of the uh, the Mars probes, uh, they got threatened by uh, uh, an Islamic group. So this is, has a long history of this. So I, I think that's one of the reasons that um, this type of disclosure is uh, something that they don't want to touch. Right. Did you ever see the movie um, uh, with um, what was it called? Contact. Yeah, Jody Foster. I, I swear to you, I swear across my heart, swear to you, I was trying to get some like part of the movie of Contact so I could play it for you tonight. I swear to God. Well, you yeah, know the, the movie really illustrates. The movie really illustrates the, the the type of uh, you know political threats and things you know religious problems and you know you you see in the movie which one of the parts where they're showing all of all of the new age people are all like accepting you know the aliens were going to make contact and then on the other side you got all the lunatics <laughs> right. you know and the, the group that actually blows up the, uh, the 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 transporter you know of course they build two but you know th- this is what I think is the reality of things. Uh, this type of information is is very volatile, and uh, the government just doesn't know what politically to do with it. They they just think that this would just, you know, all hell's going to break loose. So well, I think that's one reason why they they don't want to deal with it. Well, but that's another I, program. <laughs> you could just have a soccer game and have a whole hell broke loose. So I don't know. Well, there you go. You See, I mean, have. imagine I throwing aliens saying, in the mix. Really- well, you know, if the wrong if the wrong team loses or the wrong team wins, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's riots, tipping over cars. Yeah, you know, imagine you know a guy coming on the news and, and yeah, saying, true. you know, and then everything we're finding on Mars seems to have a direct correlation with the mythologies and artwork of Mesoamerica. Yeah. So how do you explain that to other cultures? I mean, it's like why yeah, is it me? That's what I want to know about. Why is it right. there? And it's why is it kind of reflecting? Uh, okay, so somebody, uh, John, uh, just found like a dog-looking uh, formation on. Uh, okay, he's what well, he's uh, http slash slash webslancet dot com j a l e f r a slash images slash mars underscore dog duck jpeg. So there's like anomalies up there and. Uh, Oh, there's geoglyphic you, type you of... You have so many. You have so many, and yours are just so interesting. Oh, the one I love and I want to talk to you about, he's my favorite Egyptian uh, uh, pharaoh. Is the pharaoh... I think it's... Is it Nefertiti's husband? Wasn't a perfect picture? Yes. Wasn't he his face on there with like a perfect uh, side view of his face? I mean, perfect... Oh, yeah, that, that, 
That is that was actually going to be in the paper, the science paper, but we decided not to use that because we only have that one image, and it's it's kind of bizarre. That formation is actually if you take Mars, you take the globe of Mars, and and you go to um, the area of Syria uh, Plantum where the, the Nephrite or the profiled face is, on the opposite side of the planet, the if you put a rod right through the planet on the other side of the planet, that's where that other uh, profile faces of uh, Ananakan. Isn't that Ananakan? Yeah. I, when I saw that, the outlines were so uh, perfectly clear that I was startled, you know, because actually he is, uh, his, he was so transformative of Egypt back then, I guess it caused a lot of problems because he believed in one God and he right. loved his wife and he held his children on his lap and was, he's very odd to get anyway, you know, so... But well, yeah, he had a very one. elongated, elongated head and everything. He very was distinct kind of lips, and then he had he was very odd looking, you know. But he was also very motherly, and I think that's what he was trying to project is that he was also fatherly, but loving and caring towards his beautiful wife and the kids. Right, I, I know some of the lady. Egyptian sculptures. He almost looks like he has breasts and stuff. He's very yeah, he does. He's very oddly upper shaped. body. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so, but I think he's probably also, the first transsexual king. It may be true, but they loved each other and they loved the kids. Right. You know, but uh, it's um, very interesting. So I had something else I wanted to ask you. Um, so your next project, what are, what are you? What's in the works? What are you working on? Um, well, while Bill was busy working uh, early on putting this uh, documentary together uh, for the last, God, what is it? Six years, I've been working on the third book, uh, which deals with um, it's an area of Mars, uh, Sidonia again. It's about just above the area of Mars where the face on Mars is, directly above uh, that area, that region of uh, Sidonia. Uh, I've discovered oh, probably a dozen uh, formations of uh, avian birds in that area. So the new book will feature all of these uh, birds that I've uh, discovered up there. The planets yeah. for the birds, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, Now the interesting uh, thing is uh there um in this region which is going to be featured in the book, uh there's a there's a huge crater and in the the center of the crater is a profiled image of a of a uh, an eagle head. It's a large eagle mm-hmm. head. So we found an eagle. I found a, a, there's a dove with a, with a, uh, a deer. We're finding all the uh, I'm finding all these deer and uh, bird images all together in the same area. And uh, so we got a there's another parrot formation over there. Uh, we got a raptor like a, a, a vulture or an eagle or something like that. There's a road runner. Uh, there's a, a small bird hatchling. There's a mother bird feeding its baby bird. Uh, we got an avian butterfly which is like a a, a composite of a, a bird with butterfly wings. Uh, there's a large moth. Uh, birds and moths, moths and butterflies in Mesoamerican culture were in, intertwined with bats and stuff, and they're all considered birds, so they're all yeah. connected. Um, and then, of course, there's a couple more deer. There's a woodpecker. We got a duck that has a fish body, and uh, we got another duck. And then there's a goose, and then there's a uh, pelican. And this pelican that we found uh, is standing there um, with in his mouth. He's he's captured a bat. There's a bat 
uh, hanging out of his uh, mouth, which is kind of bizarre. And mm-hmm. doing yeah. now, we, I, we found all this stuff, and we didn't know why all this stuff is there. What what the different animals mean? And again, all of these animals. Of course, the Roadrunner. The only place you find a Roadrunner is in New Mexico and you know, exactly. that area. And it's all Mesoamericans. And all these birds that we're finding all are directly related to Mesoamerican mythology, including the parrot, the roadrunner. All of these birds we found. Uh, The interesting thing about the pelican, the pelican is featured in a lot of Mesoamerican iconography. Um, You know, we were wondering, why has the pelican got a bat in its mouth? Well, in Mesoamerican mythology, it was thought that the pelicans would, you know, because they could fly down through the ocean and they'd go over the horizon and look like they went underneath the water. And in Mesoamerican mythology, bats were in the underworld. They were part of the underworld, which was down in the water. And uh, pelicans will will fly uh, close to the water where you have a lot of fish that are jumping out of the water. I mean, this is in, like, reality. you got these areas in the oceans where you have pelicans where you have all these small fish jumping out of the water. Yeah. And so the pelicans will come by and they'll scoop up the fish, you know, because they have this big pouch that comes out. And also, there's these hunter bats that fly around because they eat the fish also. And these I same bats that. occasionally, they, right, they will come up and they'll eat the fish and they're flying around in with the pelicans. And occasionally, the pelicans will eat one of the bats. So, and I didn't know any of this until I started trying to figure out why do we have a pelican eating a, pat, a, a bat. And I'm researching on the internet and I find that it's a common thing for pelicans to eat pigeons. I don't know if you. I did not know this. If after the show's over, go on the internet and and search to. for pelican and and uh, pigeon, and they have videos. There's like two or three of them. People are standing around feeding these big pelicans because pelicans are friendly. They'll come up, you know, you throw crackers or your Cheetos. Yeah, and <laughs> they're pretty big too. Yeah, and then of course pigeons are, you know, being nice little birds running around trying to eat any crumb they can find. So this pelican gets annoyed that the I guess the the little pigeon is uh, eating too much of the Cheetos, so he just eats the pigeon. And they got it, like, right on oh film. Oh, my it's just God. Disgusting. Yeah, and there's a couple other videos where pelicans will just eat eat pigeons. They just scoop them right up and swallow them. It's, like, disgusting. So oh, pelicans, God, like what I find, I'm, see, I, I'm learning all this from seeing stuff on Mars. <laughs> so I find so that, you know, pelicans... Okay, what are you trying to say, George? Now, we're talking about Mesoamerica, Egypt, and everything. You think all that was going on on Mars originally? No, I think all of these pictographs that we're finding on Mars, that Mars has, uh, all these pictographs were put up there illustrating our creation mythology in, in history that deals with uh, humans. Not only Mesoamerican people, but it's the human mythology history that's been illustrated with these pictographs that we're finding, starting with the face on Mars, which was our first um, connection to this Mesoamerican idea. And then the pyramids. Don't forget the pyramids. Well, you got pyramids in China, in ancient China, I mean, through which we found through uh, uh, all of these uh, satellite imagery that we're seeing on Google uh, you know, maps that there's all these ancient uh, huge pyramids in China. We've got pyramids in China. We've got pyramids in Egypt. You've got pyramids in uh, Mesoamerica. And in our first book, uh, we try to speculate how all this is all connected because uh, we, we touch on Egyptian mythology and Mesoamerican mythology. It's, 
Egyptian and Mesoamerican mythology is basically the same. Um, it's it's like when the uh, Romans went in and took over the, the Greek history and adopted all of the gods and everything and made it their own. It, it's the same idea. We're very similar uh, creation stories um, that we're finding in Mesoamerica. And we, we touch upon that in our first book, showing some of the parallels. Um, and a lot, a lot of the mythologies are, are very similar. So, <clears throat> you know, we're not saying that Mayan culture came from Mars, but whoever is constructing these formations on Mars uh, is illustrating this mythology. And a lot of the things that we found in Sidonia, with the, particularly the face on Mars, which is a two-faced bifurcated image that we talked about earlier with the right. human and the feline, that's right out of Mesoamerica. They have masks that have a human face on one side and a feline on the other. There's some masks that have like an old man on one side and a dog on the other. So this whole idea of split-faced or two-faced images is right out of Mesoamerica. We don't see that in any other culture in the world except in Mesoamerica. And the Maya would also uh, cut mask in half. Uh, you, you find this in American Indian masks. There'll be like a half of a mask. And it's like, why is there a half right. of a face? And um, on Mars, we're finding half images of faces in Sidonia areas in particular. Um, and what the Maya would do when, when a lord, or a ruler of a, a city or a town would die, uh, he would, they'd have these huge burials. And some of his personal items, maybe jade mask or things like that, or some of his figurines, they would actually cut them. They'd saw them right in half right down the middle, and they'd bury one half of the mask with the Lord in his tomb. So they, when the archaeologists, you know, thousands of years later would dig them up, they'd find these little jade masks just one half. Then the other half was left in the upper world with the family, so that, that he, could be, uh, he could be in both places, basically. The idea of being above and below the surface. So his spirit would on, not only remain in the upper world with the family, but then he'd be in the underworld. That's why we have the oh, idea. Oh, I get it. That's you know, and it's actually um, really uh, strange that um, how this all correlates. That some people are saying that they're seeing. Let's say they're abductees. I don't know how you feel about UFOs and all that, but uh, abductees are saying they're seeing dogs and feline races. Really? Yes. It's like a new That's... thing. People are just starting to talk about. Right. I'm not aware. But th this whole idea of transformations right out of Mesoamerica with, you know, humans transforming, yes. in, transforming into feline, transforming into dogs, this whole idea of transformation, uh, human transformation, spiritual transformation. You know, the, um, the Maya had the whole idea of resurrection, I mean, which was, comes out of uh, Anunnaki again, going back to Egyptian. You know, he yes. was one that thought about, you know, resurrection. You know, they got rid of him quick. Yeah, but, they did. You know, him having he that connection with... He believed in what with, you got, too, at con. Right. I mean, he's so, my uh, favorite. So there, there is a lot of... Uh, and also with the, the connections with Mesoamerican Egyptian, it's also Sumerian uh, mythologies. They're, they're all very similar if, if you do a, an analysis of the stories. They're very, very similar. The whole idea about how yeah, the, the moon... Sumerians, are we the Sumerians, uh, if I have this right, they have the first the written language. We go back to the Sumerians, right? Right, yeah. I mean, they were intelligent people, is what I'm saying. There was oh, the, sure. The whole thing well, the, the whole thing with the Sumerians... Right, you get into the whole idea of the, the Anunnaki, and, uh, you know, if you read any of the Sitchin work, there's a lot of connection there with Mesoamerica that 
uh, Ningasada brought the, the black-headed people, which were the Olmec down in Mesoamerica. So that's that whole connection. So it's a whole can of worms, man. Sure is. And it all like, goes back to about, Mars. And it all goes strangely back to, well, you know, men are from Mars. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just did that stupid joke. But anyway, also there was another thing that I found out, that Carl Sagan had something to do with the SETI Institute and all that. Yes, uh, SETI, but not the Society for Planetary SETI Research. Yes. Okay. So he had a, he was like, I just didn't know that they were connected in any way uh, with this this SETI or anything else. I I didn't know. I I don't know what I thought, right. but when I was I was just glad that I was doing all this uh, research and found out a bunch of stuff that uh, right. You know. This, well, that, the the uh, society that I belong to, the Society for Planetary SETI Research. It's it's an independent organization that focuses on uh, uh, basically surface features on the moon and Mars. Uh, they don't deal a lot okay, with are we the talking UFOs. Planetary society is it the same thing as what you're talking about? The, yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm a member of the uh, the Society for Planetary Study Research, not the planetary. Right, I think that that Carl Sagan was too, or Lewis Friedman. I think they founded it, didn't they? As no. A vehicle for a city, uh, I don't know. Straighten us out on the facts. Right. I'd have to check that. Check into that. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, okay. So your next your next paper in your books is coming out. Uh, you personally um, uh, have has had a, almost like a lifelong interest. Like how many years going back? Uh, well, started doing this in 1991 is when uh, the, we started the Sedoni Institute. And so I've been doing this research since then. Um, I still do artwork. I do it like when I put out these books, I do a lot of the illustrations, like the, the, the drawing of the Nephetite face or the profiled mm-hmm. face. Uh, that's, that's one of my drawings. That's good. So if you have any uh, questions, we just have a little more time for our guest, 619-924-9744. If you want to call in with a question, uh, or you want to tell in the chat room, we just have a few more minutes. So, uh, what what other message uh, would you like to tell our listeners, and a shout out to anybody or or whatever you can tell us about the man you're writing a book with, or um, if any of your listeners are uh, you know intrigued with this type of information, you know please uh, go and check out all of. On our website, the Sedoni Institute, we have a whole uh, area of articles. Uh, you can get familiar with, uh, you know, going all the way back to the face on Mars and and seeing uh, what we've done, you know, looking at that. And uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, articles on the website that aren't in the book. A lot of our newer discoveries. And uh, you know, I just invite everyone that's listening to, you know, go over there and take a look. And if you're interested in, in looking at those. Uh, please go over to the uh, Mars Codex and check out the uh, the documentary that uh, Bill and I put together, and uh, be happy to uh, send you a copy. That uh, just, just sounds wonderful, and I, and I want to thank you very much. And I'm very uh, intrigued about where where you're going with this. And uh, do you have like projects and like what's your like five year plan for uh, what would you like see in motion about this area of research? Well, um, like we've been trying to do for many years, trying to get uh, you know the word out, trying to uh, like you know we we had the parrot formation uh, 
published in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, and we sent out news releases to major newspapers, and uh, really nobody paid attention to it. It was like we were pretty excited. We figured, well, we got this published in the journal. This is pretty uh, powerful uh, argument that this is an artificial structure on Mars. I mean, this should get a lot of attention, and, and it just didn't go much. Uh, you know, didn't get a lot of legs, as they say in the media. We we did mm-hmm. get uh, featured in the uh, the Wall Street Journal, believe it or not. Uh, the Wall Street Journal did a story on the, the, the parrot formation. We were on the front page, actually. Wow. Um, below the fold. Um, that, I think that was in 2011. So, yeah, that, that was that was pretty cool. And uh, they also interviewed uh, Dr. Um, Horace Crater. Uh, he's also uh, one of the – he's actually, the I think, the director of the Society for Planetary Study Research. They interviewed him also on in that article. And uh, so that was pretty amazing. We were – and we got on the uh, – we got an article written up on us on the um, discovery – uh, on the internet, which was uh, pretty cool, but besides that, we didn't get much uh, attention. And you know, we're just—it's a long, you know, hard road here to try to get this, you know, into the public domain. And that's basically what we're trying to do. And uh, you know, we have the second paper uh, hopefully being published, and we'll, you know, try to get the, the profiled face out there in the uh, uh, the media and see if. Uh, it, it's just a very difficult thing for people to take seriously, I think. Uh, you know, you send these emails the, you out. Know, you're right, but that's and that's why I created this show, actually to give a forum for anybody to, all, you know, it's all the creative people out there that they can come on and talk and talk about their research and everything else. It's, to me, it's endlessly fascinating, you know. So I keep right. pushing forward, and in October to be, you know, my second year anniversary, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, because meeting people like you, supporting uh, what you believe in is what it's all about. You know, we have to support each other on this stuff. You know, some people just brush it away to like, it doesn't mean anything, but it's intensely uh, meaningful. You know, I just think that right. you're uh, talking about something that's so uh, new and interesting. Uh, people are going to resist. You know, people, you know, like to be in denial. I hate to say that, but anything creative or anything uh you know, you have the arts background, and you can see it. You have that artist eye. Uh, you're just going to have to persevere. Because I want right. you back again with your when you well, get your new you information know, again. Well, thanks. I'd love to come back. And even when we, I had the um, the debut of the the Mars Codex, which was uh, happened last month, right here in Virginia at the um, Franklin Park Art Center at their theater. Uh, they accepted the. I sent proposals out, and they accepted it. And we had a premiere night and. Uh, they had ads out in the paper, and I uh, had sent invitations out. And the Franklin Arts Center has been there for almost 10 years. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's a big park, uh, and they have a nice theater. So we had the DVD showcase there uh, back in April. And uh interesting event happened uh, the morning or the night before the, the, the DVD showcased. Um, the park was vandalized. They had uh, someone had come in and uh, started one of the trucks and drove it all over the place. And uh, they drove over the uh, the baseball field and knocked down the the backdrop. And they ran all over the art center and knocked the sign down. And uh, the the police came and they closed the the place. We almost didn't have the premiere. Wow, sabotage! 
can you imagine? They've never had any type of event, but you know, I have my debut there of the Mars Codex, and the place is vandalized. And if you go on the internet and type in um, Franklin Park Art Center vandalism, uh, there's like 130,000 hits on the internet about stories. Wow. It was in the AP. It was out in Arizona newspapers. It was in Ohio newspapers. You know, uh, county park vandalized. No mention at all that the Mars Codex was uh, debuting that night. Uh, but they did have articles about the, the baseball field, and they, uh, I think ABC News, they had sent somebody down to interview one of the uh, coaches for the baseball team, you know, because we've got to get this backdrop fixed because it's for the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no wow. mention that uh, the Mars Codex uh, had debuted that night. And well, it didn't. Uh, so we only had about 25 people show up because most people thought the place was closed. So uh, yeah, because that, was my, that was our world premiere. Sorry. That was our world premiere, yep. It's so weird, you know. Uh, weird? But it happens to us all the time. Um, I've heard and seen so much strange anomalies that um, I know that it's uh, interference because it's not an easy flow to do any of this. It's like you're swimming upstream, and there's a lot of resistance right. from whatever. You know, it's hard to say who it is, you know. Yeah. And uh, but you have a um, just a couple of excellent books and very provocative. And uh, George Haas, uh, you can get his book, uh, the Sidonian Codex and the Martian Codex at Amazon. I found it very easily, and order it there. Or you can go to your your website. What's the name of your website again? What's your contact information? Because I'm going to refer you to a group yeah, that, I belong to. Right. Uh, they can just go to the Sidonian Institute. Uh, type that in, and the website will come up. Or go to the Mars Codex. Uh, there's links to everything on the Sedoni Institute. Good. And uh, she found the story, so thank you, Claudette. She's in uh chat room, and she found the, the actual story, the MST Franklin Park, so I don't oh, want to yeah, click on you, anything. Yeah. It might blow up. Yeah, but, but there'll be no mention of me in there, though. Oh, damn it. God. <laughs> yep. I don't get it, but, you know, uh, what... Well, you know, I think I the you... two guys, you know, and they haven't been able to identify who broke in or what... But I think both of them probably had NASA patches on their arm when they came in there. So, just a hunch. Wow. Oh man, I'd be so mad to do that. I, I think, you know, the conflict of my my the reason why I brought up that other incident with my friend is imagine how conflicted she is. Now she's working on a, sla- a satellite after all these years. She's she's been there twenty years. They told her to shut up and do all this, and now all of a sudden they're working on an alien life satellite. It's very <laughs> odd for her. You know, she's having like the existential breakdown. I don't know. It's just odd. When all along I'm plodding along, you know, doing my thing and then uh putting it all out there and just think what the heck. Right. You know, I just don't this is what I want to encourage you is to keep going with your story and keep persevering because for me for one, I don't want to die without telling my story and telling the truth. Or finding right. out what I, I want to discover. I don't want to go out, you know, just wondering or just shutting up because somebody told me to shut up. No matter what they do, right. So do you oh, know? I enjoyed. The... Go ahead. Go ahead. I enjoyed uh, being on your program. Uh, you're uh, interesting to talk to yourself. And, Thank uh, you. If the uh, once the book gets finished and uh, we get something out there for the, the public to uh, take a look at, I'll give you a call back and yeah. maybe we can come back on and talk about the new book. I'd love to have you back, George, and I want to thank you so much for being on, and please get his books and go to the website for more fascinating information and some awesome pictures, and I I really admire your work, George, so you have a good night, and thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me.
Take care. Okay, bye-bye. You too. Bye. So anyway, my fabulous peeps, um, I'm so happy that uh, people have continued to listen. I found out a couple friends uh, up Northern California and Monterey, they were on their 10-year anniversary, and I wish them a very happy anniversary to Adrian and Kathy. And uh, I know that you're listening, and I want to say thank you so much for being supportive and listening to the show. I love you guys, and have a very wonderful, wonderful little vacation you're having up there. And happy 10 years. And I also want to say that my mother is actually doing exceptional. Happy anniversary from Claudette and uh, everybody else in chat. Uh, you guys are special to me. And uh, Adrian Rudnick is my uh, co-host uh, part-time. And um, he's just having a wonderful time with his wife and sending beautiful pictures back. And we really appreciate it. And I also want to thank my roving investigator at large, Claudette Huber, for checking in. And my good friend John LeFrancois, I think I got it right that time, uh, the genius of it all. And everybody for listening, I want to thank you so much for being supportive of our show and uh, also uh, riding through the glitch because they made me change the whole link. And uh, I'm going to actually put the pictures back on the shows and everything else. And uh, so we'll get that going good again and the show will look right because I I had a lot of fascinating pictures up there. And uh, I... uh, you know, I just love you peeps so much, and you just keep me going no matter what, because it's like no hell or high water, we're going to do the paranormal and sacred. No matter what you do, fly overheads. Get the helicopters in the bushes or whatever, but leave us alone, but we're going to still do it. So I uh, really, really, really appreciate you guys, and I just wanted a chance to say that. So now if they would just stop the chemtrails and block in the sky, I'm telling you there's another anomaly that's happening here in California is that we don't see the sky anymore. There's a weird cloud cover that's very low, and most of the night it's kind of bright, and uh, the clouds are bright for some reason. I don't know why, but it's giving me claustrophobia over here. I really love to see the night sky and everything else, and uh, I don't get to see it. So if anybody has any information about that, and yeah, my my hat actually went to took my mother to a. a, a a seafood banquet, whatever place. It was so awesome, uh, Chinese food. And I took her out today, and uh, she so enjoyed it, and she looks so much better. And thank you guys for all your prayers. You know, my mother, I'm just not ready for her to go. She's 79. She needs to be around here for a long time, and she looks more determined and healthier than ever. So she is doing her physical therapy, but she's also taking all kinds of vitamins and taking her medicine and all that, as she should. So uh, anyway, I want to thank you all for listening in, and God bless you all, and I want to say good night. And uh, okay, so I just found out, excuse me, I'm almost closing the show, but just a second, I just heard from John LeFrancois, uh, chemtrails do tend to glow with a milky brightness, and that's exactly what's going on over here. And I resent it. I can't see one even, sky even. I'm almost speaking French now, John. <laughs> Not quite yet, but anyway, and also let's do a shout out to myself because uh, I took this really hard test, and I have determined I, I can't retire for four more years, so I'm going to continue with my life, and I decided to work on uh, education and self-improvement for the last four years, trying to get my health together because I've had some 
serious arthritis and all the health problems that I'm causing myself, and I need to snap out of it and uh, get on the healthy road so I can keep uh, bringing these crazy shows to you. And anyway, I'm having a wonderful life and a wonderful time, and it's only because I get to vent live on the radio. No, that's not it. I'm sorry. But what it is is, you know, I love, love supporting everybody out there, the artists, the musicians, the UFO people, the, you know, the scientists, and we have it all. And I just want to thank everybody. And keep up the good work, people. Don't hide just because uh, the helicopters are after us and the stupid low cloud that's really bugging me. Anyway, so I want to, you know, I have permission to play this song, and uh, it's really kind of cool, Donna Summer, and I'm going to play it while I'm talking. I hope it works, but uh, anyway, I have a few things in the works, so wish me luck. Uh, I think I'm getting some new equipment on Sunday, which is going to be cool, having a microphone, headphones, and a mixer, and I don't know how to use it yet, but I'm going to learn how to use it, so wish me luck with that, because I have a lot to learn. And uh, what else? So next week's show, I could tell you about that. Well, let me see. I can't now. I can't find all my resources. Anyway, uh, I actually shut all my pages, so I couldn't. Lose, I didn't have to leave the show. So I want to wish you all well, and come back next week, 6 p.m. Pacific time, uh, for a show. We have it every Friday. We have a new and an awesome speaker every week, and don't miss it. And we appreciate your support, and uh, we'll see how the new equipment works. And I'll have to learn about how to do it next week. Okay. And love you guys, and uh, uh, keep up the good work, people out there. Love you. Bye-bye.